Hello, I'm Rebecca Casalino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Maya Ben David, or MBD, is a Toronto based Jewish Iranian artist. Working in video, installation, and performance, she creates worlds and characters that aid her ongoing exploration of anthropomorphism, cosplay, and performative personas. Our conversation was recorded in Hamilton, within Treaty 3 territory, on the ancestral land of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations, under the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. This episode of Hopping the Fence contains discussions of anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. Hey, Maya. Hi, Rebecca. What are you up to? How's it going? I'm sitting in my kitchen, and I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. I've been following your stuff because you went to Guelph as well as me for such a long time that I've been just like ambiently watching your videos. So I'm, I'm really excited to ask all the questions I've been thinking about. Aw, well, I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you. Um, but just to get us started, do you want to talk a little bit about your practice in general for, for audience members? Sure. So uh, I make costumes and characters and worlds about anthropomorphic objects and ideas, but I also just make things and art pieces about things that I'm obsessed about at the moment. So like I made a video about jiggle physics because like I thought about this one video for a year and then I'm like, I just can't take it. I have to make a video about it. So it's basically whatever I feel like and I'm interested in. Jiggle physics is a good place to start because I feel like there's this kind of like sexiness um, both like you directly say it in a lot of your videos, but then like underneath and like your costuming. And I was wondering mm-hmm. how you think about like being sexy as like an artist and being like sexy on the internet and um, like why that's like an obsession, like why you keep going back to it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to me. It's, I'd say it's an important part of one of the core things that I think about with my art because I usually have like an anthropomorphic character and then, and on top of that, they're kind of sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with sex, sexiness. Like, I wanted to be hot always. <laughs> uh, I was really not hot in elementary school, and it, like, tore my brain apart Aww. that I wasn't hot, and I tried everything to be hot. And so, like, I had pretty big boobs when I was a kid or, like, young adult. So that was, like, the one thing that I clung to where mm. I'm, like, this is my, like, access to the hot universe um and then I later felt like I got hotter and got happier I don't think that hotness is my key to happiness but (laughs) it's just something that my brain has always been obsessed over um also like I how do I say this like I'm obsessed with the hotness of other people and how hotness changes all the time Mm. and like how the internet changes hotness like for example like what hotness looks like on TikTok looks completely different than what hotness looked like on Instagram Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. four years ago. I guess that's a pretty basic obsession. It's kind of just obsession of like of beauty, but I've, I've always been interested in it, in it. And I, I think most artists think about sexiness in terms of objectification Mm -hmm. and uh, the male gaze and, women's bodies as seen by men and I think about it in those terms too Mm -hmm. but I also think of it in terms of like 
I care about hotness and I like hot people and mm-hmm. I like sexy things. So <laughs> I'm also coming at it at, in like, I both see the criticalness about it. And I also come to it with like a pervy side yeah. and I also want it for myself too. So it's all of those things together. Yeah. And like your sexiness is like kind of a very specific brand like like you were saying like the difference between TikTok and Tumblr and I feel like yours comes from more of like nerddom and like fan fiction would you say that's like accurate is that where you're drawing from I don't know I, I, there's a lot of things that I specifically have always like picked up on as hotness but mm-hmm. yeah like uh, fan fiction and like I guess anime and because I grew up watching so much anime mm-hmm. and uh beauty standards of when like I was 14 Mm. are things that I still like think about all the time um so yeah who knows all of the secret scary things that have like made me think about (laughs) sexiness the way I do right now but I'm sure there's like reasons that I don't even understand or know um, but then we have, like, the whole bimbo revolution and, like, himbo mm-hmm. revolution that's, like, happening now. And I feel like your videos, like, you've always been doing this, so they're not in response, but they feel very, like, topical right now. Yeah, I'm I'm happy for, like, the bimbo and himbo revolution and thembo revolution yeah. to be happening in, in full force. That feels great. And I, like, I'm happy that people are going to grow up with those influences as opposed to like the ones that we grew up with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's changed your videos? Like as this like cultural shift has happened, like, do you feel like you're more able to like lean into that or it's changed how you're thinking about your work? Um, I think maybe it's refined my humor. Mm. I think I've always loved pretending I was dumb as like a joke, <laughs> but, um, I, I don't mean like pretend like making fun of people yeah. who don't understand things. I mean more like like playing off of my own like alienish proclivities, I guess. Mm. Um, like th- things that I don't understand. I've I've always just like joked about them, and they've always been a joke. But people haven't been in on the joke, and they've just like laughed at me, not laughed with me. Yeah. But now I'm like I, I I've seen how like people can frame themselves as bimbos and their jokes can be molded and be seen like they're they're like have autonomy over their joke Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and that's maybe like refined how I frame my humor with bimbos and himbos and stuff like that for me like I think about um you made this one video where you put like two salt lamps in your bra and like we're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. your salt lamp breasts and for me that was just like such a reflection of the internet at that time like (laughs) everyone into like wellness but also like wanting to still be sexy and it felt like very um honest in that kind of way so it's interesting to hear that like your humor has sharpened as like other people have kind of like gotten in on this yeah I I, um still very passionately believe that no matter what like subculture somebody is part of they still want to feel attractive and I think like subcultures are such a big part of your practice like do you want to talk a bit about um the different subcultures that you draw from and like the references that you use in your videos? Yeah. Um, I am always on Reddit (laughs) because (laughs) I think of myself and, uh, my boyfriend Ian thinks of me like this, where I'm like this 
plucky rat that carries like a rucksack on my back and carries like different like bags of all of my goods and I go to each like reddit subreddit um (laughs) and I'm like peddling my wares to each of them being like maybe you'd be interested in this (laughs) (laughs) perhaps you would like to watch my airplane video and uh mostly I get people that are like what the fuck is this uh I get downvotes obviously or I get like this is the wrong sub uh I, I literally have gone onto so many subreddits and I just I'm subscribed to all of them, so I see all of them all the time, so I get to see all of their updates and how they're evolving. Uh, I guess I, I like, I'm obsessed with uh, subcultures. I want to be part of all of them, and <laughs> I wish I could have seen more of them when I was a kid. I was like, you know, the internet wasn't as spectacular as it is right now, so I, sure. only, I was only able to see some things, but... Uh, every scary or strange thing that I saw from the internet has made me a better person, even if it was like very disturbing. Well, I love I you recently posted that you got banned from the fine art Reddit, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, okay, I so I also am on Facebook groups because you know I'm trying to peddle my wares everywhere. Well, of course. So that way, like, if I ever became famous, people are like, oh, she worked really, really hard. <laughs> Just so people know, I work really hard and it's very stressful. So I, tr- I try to peddle my wares on the Facebook art groups and I peddle my wares in, like, weird art group. And then there's another one called very weird oh art gosh. group. And then there's one called, like, very weird dark art group. <laughs> and then there's, like, dreamcore art and there's fairycore art and there's, like, all of these different things. And I tried to post my things in there, and mostly people hate me. Oh, my God. Um, and also the subreddits that are about art also hate me. But sometimes I'll get people who appreciate me. It feels like when you're posting on Facebook, like, that you're in character. And I think that's why I like it so much. Like, even the you. you posted something recently, like, all curators curate me now before I'm discovered and become famous. <laughs> Yeah, they really need to listen to that because they're going to miss out on something very good. But I feel like that's how all artists feel and you're just like saying it and it's just so (laughs) funny. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, should we just be like bullying curators more? Yes. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, But that goes into like, you're making these really produced, especially like you just released one of your short films. Um, and I was wondering about like script writing and writing in your practice. Like, are you doing these videos like off the cuff? Or are you, do you have a formal writing practice? I wouldn't call it formal. It's more <laughs> just me like sitting and having an idea and then like maybe having like a brain explosion, which is what I call like getting a really good idea and like having to write it down. Oh, and yeah. then so I write my brain explosion down and like I walk around and I like, sometimes I call Jess and Claudia and I'm like, what do you think of this idea? And I like give them my pitch. Nice. So like I can kind of like hash out the idea more. And yeah, I, I would say like, I, I'm not a writer, but I do write most of my scripts and I do go off of it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But words and speaking is like a relatively new thing in my practice just in the past couple of years so mm-hmm. I'm still trying to work on that yeah it's I think it was surprising to me like when you first started doing this because I, I thought like oh my gosh does she have a script like this is so much work <laughs> I definitely have a script and it's hard to memorize yeah geez it's almost like you're making yourself into like an actor as well as a performance artist at this point 
yeah, um, I'm not a good actor, but my boyfriend Ian uh, is a really good acting coach. So I'll ask him like secret tips about how to do it. And, and that's made me a little bit better. And is he also your vocal coach too? Hell yeah, he is. <laughs> I remember um, you did the popcorn ceiling maiden performance um, at the Chinatown Center. And you were talking about like learning to sing. Um, how long have you been learning to sing now? And like, what does that look like? And what does your like practice feel like now? Well, I was taking formal lessons for a while. My singer te- singing teacher was really, really cool. And I liked it because it's kind of like an athletic sport. Mm. Like you, ha- you have to stand in a really, really specific way. And like, even if you're like not feeling well, or you're not like putting, you're not like using your body and your, your hands, your singing isn't going to be good. So I got to learn all that stuff, which was really cool. I do sing in some of my videos now. I don't take formal lessons anymore because they're really expensive. But maybe when I become rich, I'll take them again. (laughs) But yeah, I I like it a lot because it's like a sport and I like learning new things. And I want to do it more. I'm not good at singing, just so so we clarify that. I feel like... The songs that you choose are also like I'm I'm very into drag and performance and like music is a big part of of drag at least for like me and the songs mm-hmm. that you choose are like very emotional and like very specific and then you singing them like adds this other layer what's like your relationship with with music like um I feel like the songs that you're choosing like have a lot of meaning to like you as well <laughs> I don't really like music that much <laughs> but I do yeah I don't really like music it's annoying to me but I like narrative songs that, like, I'm like, oh, there's a story here. Mm. And, like, this will make the audience feel really, like, connected. And this makes me feel like this is my story. Um, and or it's, like, epic or cheesy. And I, and I like those those kinds of songs. Yeah. But typically I don't like music. So I will only choose things that I feel, like, are epic or narrative. For sure. No, like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is it Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat that you were drawing from? Some of those yeah. songs? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I'd love to talk about, like, you being a storyteller, because, like, you directly reference that in, in a couple of your YouTube videos, but it's also, like, the more you go into narrative, like, you can really see the stories coming together. Thank you. Uh, I'd say I'm a noob when it comes to storytelling. <laughs> I would love it if I could have a wonderful, rich universe. Yes. Where I keep building off of it. I think right now uh, my pieces are kind of, standalones they they do relate and intersect with each other Mm -hmm. but I don't like revive my characters and like enrich their lives over and over again so that's something I'd want to do in the future Mm -hmm. but I am interested in storytelling like originally all my videos were just like experiences like you'd meet one character and just jump into their world and then like that was it and I didn't talk or anything Mm -hmm. but now I'm trying to like now I'm trying to enrich all of their stories and I know that's very not art but I like it, so that's what I'm doing. Well, I was thinking, um, like, art is so afraid of being entertainment, which is why I think I a lot of artists are so scared of YouTube. Um, yeah. But I find that that's what makes it, like, so accessible. And, like, even you being Snake Moses at Art Toronto just, like, made me laugh so hard. Like, again, like, <laughs> growing up with those stories and then seeing your twist on it and you bringing these stories to life in, like, a very relevant in this moment kind of way. Um, but I feel like you're you're bringing back your characters a little bit. Like Snake Moses is somebody that comes back a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. are, is there like a favorite character that you have that you really want to bring back in like upcoming projects? 
I'm actually making a video right now with Ian where he's going to be an, an like HR specialist and fire all of my characters. Oh. Uh, and it's going to be about like getting fired and what it means to be fired. And all of them are going to be fired in, in a way that's like true to their actual, to, to the object that they are. So like a, the Arab Canada gal is like now a danger and she has to be, she has to be retired as an airplane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, popcorn ceiling maiden has to be like scraped off of a wall. So she's like dying. <gasps> so I, I want, I would say I don't want to revisit and re-enrich these characters, but I do want to say like a little like conclusion or like hi and goodbye and then mm. to them. And and it doesn't mean they're like gone forever. I just like want to say, I just want to check in on them, <laughs> you know. But your work also exists in like these formal contemporary spaces like Samara Contemporary in Kensington where you did your mold mate performance um how do you Mm -hmm. feel like does the work change or do you have to change it to make it like in real life or in gallery spaces versus like YouTube or hosting it online well my my YouTube work is so different or I wouldn't say so different but it's pretty different from my um live performance work Mm -hmm. because one's more like theater and one's more uh, and one's more visual screen based Mm. so like I'm like there's a lot of editing that is involved in my YouTube videos but then performances I'll make more sets and I'll uh I haven't done a lot of live performances but they'll be more like coordination and and more like dance numbers or something like that Mm. I'll be more aware of my visual like my my surrounding space and I'll also like when you when you do a live performance you like wait for the laughs and True. you wait for like the reactions and you like pause and you look at the people there and so you don't do that in a video so the energy's a lot different um but i'd love to talk about your prop making like the mold made cave itself was like its own artwork and now in all your Thank videos you. i get to see your other amazing like 3d then like painted props um how do you approach all of these and like What's like um, the thought that goes into all these props that you make? The thought goes in where I am thinking of a scene, like I have a script and I'm thinking of a scene and I want to show something or I want to have like an interesting background or interact with something. And Mm -hmm. then I could just green screen something, but it might be more exciting if I were to make it. So I just like, spend a couple of days obsessing over how to like make an ancient looking book or how to make like a gun. I made a gun for my jiggle physics video and that oh was really gosh. fun. And I still have a gun in my house. And if I ever like someone ever breaks it, I'm going to pull out my fake gun. <laughs> uh, and that makes me feel really like, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's fun to make all of these things. Cause like it's, it, they're only shown for like a millisecond in my videos, but I, I think it makes people feel, I think that they trust me more when mm. I, when I put, that work into all of those small things like they it means like I care about them having fun in my video if yeah. I if I work hard on the props and I really liked making the um the cave in the jiggle physics video with all of the hot girls on it um <laughs> that was really fun I feel like that brings us back to Air Canada Girl and like your Vore obsession mm, yeah I can talk about Vore <laughs> <laughs> do you want to explain um Vore and like the Vore kind of lore oh my gosh I hate myself the vor lore lore that you dove into 
Yeah, I honestly should do more boar stuff. Uh, <laughs> borophilia is when you desire to be consumed whole by a person or being, or you want to devour somebody else. Uh, I love boar. I think it's a very cool subculture and I'm happy that I live in a time where it is being realized on the internet. I follow a bunch of like really, really good for Instagram accounts. Awesome. And Reddit's obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's there's a lot of nuance to it that people don't understand. A lot of it can be like very romantic. It, it can also be like platonic. Like it's often seen as sexual, but it can also be like, oh, I love you so much. I want to like be inside of your stomach and be like consumed by you and like cuddled by your innards. Or like, I, I just like, I want to, I love you so much. I want to like swallow you. And sometimes it's evil. And sometimes it's like, you were mean to me. So I want to swallow you and then poo you and then you're shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's wild. It's so good. And it's not it's not possible in real life because the whole part of borophilia is that you're consumed whole. It's not cannibalism. It's like a magic thing that happens. And sometimes you just like the character just like lives happily in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they like get eroded by stomach acids. So it's really up to the artist of what happens. But I've done a couple of different bore things uh, for my art. Yeah, it reminds me of like Kirby eating people and then just like spitting them mm. back out like a very wholesome kind of vor moment there yeah Noah the the whale devours Noah whole definitely definitely um but the humor that you use in your videos and in your practice in general is so specific and like it really feels like that's your voice um if you want to speak to that and like your use of Jewish humor I think that'd be really cool to to hear your thoughts and feelings well I try to be funny in my videos I try to make some jokes and mostly I do by making like personas and having, uh, so I, I guess I'm not like, like a stand up comedian mm -hmm. where I'm like cracking jokes. It's, it's more like I, I put these, like I make these unusual characters that have, um, strange perspectives on things or like they embody a certain trope and they keep pushing the trope to absurdity mm -hmm. and that, uh, that becomes, sometimes funny and yeah sometimes my my humor is like Jewish humor I, I would lots of people would define Jewish humor differently I would define it as kind of a dark humor mm. uh, it's like self-reflective it's like calling attention to like scary or strange things uh, and like normalizing it and to an extent where like it's it's a bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm people could probably give a different uh, answer than I am, but that's maybe how I think of it. Like for example, I grew up and my whole family talked about the Holocaust casually, always. Mm. Like I like my my family likes to say like we grew up in like a Holocaust household because mm. like it's just on our mind all the time so like I wouldn't say we don't make holocaust jokes as in like anti-semitic people make holocaust jokes yeah. which are like uh gas chamber jokes or something it's mm -hmm. more like very intricate specific jokes that like relate to my grandparents experience in the holocaust and we just grew up talking about it so casually that uh it's just something we always talk about and we and we talk about it in in like a multi-faceted different way and mm -hmm. and that's 
that's similar to how I make jokes in my videos, but I usually, I only like make jokes about things that I'm like very intimately connected to. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you're talking about intergenerational trauma um, in your latest short film, I think was a really mm. good example of that. Like in even snake girl, like being a snake in itself um, is kind of like, obviously in, in Catholic or Christian mythology, like a snake is bad. Um, so I think about like you turning this snake girl into like this wholesome character also feels very <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. Also um, in, in Nazi Germany, there were uh, posters they put up the Nazi party put up about uh, where it's like a, a big muscular uh, hand, like Nazi hand. And mm -hmm. it's like strangling a snake and the snake Ooh. are like the Jewish people. And you know, it says something like you have to stamp out the like the rodents and the vermin. Ooh. So like Jews are often compared to vermin. So that's a big connection to it too. Um, I really liked you cuddling, like as a snake, cuddling with the rodents that you had like in your <laughs> hyperbolic chamber. I thought that was really wholesome. Yeah, they're my friends. Snake Girl's a very she's a very wholesome character. I almost like hate her for that. Uh. <laughs> um but I had to play, like, because I wrote it like this, I, I had to be, like, the plucky protagonist character. I mean, I didn't have to be, but I wrote her to be like that. Yeah, and Usually yeah. my characters are a lot weirder, but she was a straight-edge, wholesome, For sure. sweet part. Yeah. And I think, like, because the story that you're telling is, like, so serious and so painful, like, it, it makes sense for her to be like that as well, to kind of contrast yeah, and she's also told from the perspective of, like, a World War II crank siren. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, like, um, who's, like, the narrator and the framer of the story. And so I, I think of, like, this crank siren wanting to tell, like, this revenge story to, like, these Holocaust shoes mm -hmm. to, to make them, like, to help them, like, deal with their, like, PTSD and to cope with what happened to their owners and yeah. so she, like, wants to make, like, an idealized story for the shoes where, like, there is, like, a happy protagonist that, like, saves the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I thought that was really beautiful. Like, um, I think a lot of images of the Holocaust, like, we see the shoes, we see everybody's, like, wedding rings and jewelry. Um, yeah. So, so you personifying, like, the shoes really brought it back to, like, people for me? Oh, that's great. Um, I didn't originally have, like, that's a, that's a new character they made at, like, I didn't have before. So I was wondering how people read that character. Yeah, I really or, loved her... it. Like, Thank especially you. the decay and like, um, this object being picked up and put in a museum. Like, that's something that's happening right now. And everybody's thinking about like, what belongs in a museum? What's important? Um, but also I felt like the, the siren almost felt like a My Little Toaster reference, like the sound and like the fear that it's created. Like it very much felt like you were a children's character, um, like there to tell the story. Yeah, she did kind of seem like a, a, a nice old grandpa that's like, come on in, I'm going to tell you a story of my youth. And yeah, it was framed like I'm about to tell you a fantastical story. This week's podcast recommendation is a podcast series called Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. Where is Cleo? Taken by child welfare workers in the 1970s and adopted in the U.S., the young Cree girl's family believes she was attacked and murdered while hitchhiking back home to Saskatchewan. CBC News investigative reporter Connie Walker joins the search to find out what really happened to Cleo. Yeah, no, I, I really, like, your character's 
almost feel a lot of them are like very degraded in a very specific way like mold made and now this crank siren what's like the aesthetic approach that you take to your characters like whether they're sexy or degraded or sexy and degraded you know well when i was in art school <laughs> i didn't read most i mean okay i read the things that we had to read because we had homework about them, but I didn't care about most of them mm-hmm, except mm-hmm. for this piece about the grotesque. And I was like, Oh, mm. I'm interested in the grotesque. Actually, my mom, I think, I think she studied the grotesque when she was in, um, when she was in school. So oh, cool. hi mom, if you're listening to this, <laughs> um, that was one thing that stuck with me that I, I really liked having like characters that are both sexy and kind of gross and repulsive and, and scary and like, broken or breaking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like gross things personally I find it I find them cute like I find mold kind of cute so um and, and that's what most of my art tries to like find cuteness and in, in gross things so that's maybe my my interest in it purely academic purely academic but also the like yeah I just think it's cute <laughs> no that's so cool I love um the theory that like really sticks with people is sometimes so random, but also like can set you on this really cool path. Um, do you want to talk about collaborating with like your family, like your mom and your brother a little bit? Yeah, I do. Um, my mom is in her own right, an extremely talented artist. She makes, she makes very grotesque and like strange and wonderful ceramic pieces Amazing. that are something that I could never make. Like there's like, scary distorted creatures coming out of all of her pieces and I like really want to do a show with her one time um but she helps me make my costumes and she helps me make my sometimes she helps me make my sets or um props pieces she sometimes helps me film some things she's just best and so intelligent and creative and she helps me so much with so much of my videos and also like I don't know I couldn't I don't think I'd be able to do what I do right now if I didn't have like a mom that was insanely supportive of me doing like really weird things. And mm-hmm. I'm sure her own weirdness inspired me. Um, <laughs> my brother is also a very weird artist. He's like a musician, but he also went to art school and he knows that I don't like music, but he knows my taste in music. So he makes like very strange pieces for me. And he's a very talented, like genius musician and I just like working with him. Like I'll, I'll call him and be like, this is what the video is about. And this is like, uh, the, I like, I'm, I'm thinking about like a Naruto soundtrack and like <laughs> Edward Scissorhands and it gets like ominous over here. And then he like knows what I'm talking about. And then he makes like magic for me. And yeah, I like working with my family because it feels like cozy and it feels like a cute little community. Have, have you always like worked with them on like crafts and art things? Or is this something that like when you started your practice, you got more into no, I, I, I mean, I did crafts with my mom all the time when I was a kid, and we made art stuff all the time. Cute. But um, I wouldn't say that, like, we were all working on art together through my uh, teenhood or something like that. Like, it's something when I was making art, I started making art, like, more seriously. I just started, like, talking to on the phone with my mom more about everything. Mm-hmm. We just got We just got a lot closer, and she's just really smart and she has really good opinions about art. So she would help me a lot. And my brother did too. My brother also, when I was in high school, like once gave me the best art idea and I got a really good bark on it. (laughs) Um, And then I was curious, like your YouTube channel is something that you've 
recently like really dove into and like this Patreon setup that you have to fund your your art. Like I feel like you're in my brain you're like a very established artist human um and you should be like living off your art practice but I I understand that like videos are hard to make a living off of (laughs) yeah they really are thank you for saying that though by the way yeah I don't I don't know I guess because like also you were um somebody who had graduated while I was still in school and like just watching from the outside like it really felt like you had this community support but like monetizing is so hard and you need to pay for all the supplies to make all these props jeez yeah. I mean, I'm still like in deficit every time. I, yeah. Like I'm not like in money deficit, but like every time I make an art project, it's, it's very expensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I, I guess I talk to a lot of people now about this. So like, I don't trust the art world to like protect me anymore. Yeah. Or I don't like have these fantastical dreams of like one day I'm going to become so big in the art world that I'm going to be able to like, you know, afford to live just on my art like I don't think that's possible for many video artists Mm -hmm. maybe it's true for like Ryan Trinkarton I don't know maybe (laughs) not even like I just know I just like went into the art world and I met all the people that I like was so inspired by that I considered to be like famous artists and all of them have other jobs yeah yeah um so now I'm like desperately (laughs) trying to get YouTube subscribers. You should all subscribe to me, please. Um, And and then I have Patreon and I like my patrons. They're very nice. And I like doing that. And I make a little bit of money from Patreon and then maybe one day I'll become famous and be able to pay rent with that money. Goals, honestly. Yeah, and I I love um, like your sexy drawings or like your commission drawings that you do through your Patreon. I feel like that's such a generous thing to do for people to make them custom drawings I like doing it it's not even generous like I (laughs) first of all all of my patrons like I think I have like five people I make drawings for because that's all I can like have the energy to do for every month Mm -hmm. but like all of the requests are first of all like very generous they kind of each of them kind of say in their own way like well I kind of want to make something that you would want to make so they make requests that are like they're often like careful I'd say like most people are like are you okay with drawing that and I'm like yes I'm okay with drawing that um so everybody who requests drawings for me are very sweet and I love hearing the strange requests and it also gives me like a mental refresh of like yeah I'm not like making this isn't like me trying to make content I'm just giving somebody a gift even though they are like paying for it every month Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I try really hard on them oh No, I love that. And I think it's, like, a meaningful way also to, like, connect with your audience, too. Like, you're literally engaging with, like, their fantasies and their ideas. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. It's fun. You know I care about sexiness. So, like, I hella care what somebody wants to make, what somebody wants me to make for a sexy drawing. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Um, The show that you were in at the Plum with uh, Ian singing over top was, like, the sexiest but also, like, creepiest <laughs> thing that I've ever seen. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> like, your voice, or his voice ambiently going through the gallery was so funny. Like, just walking through and just hearing this little sing-song kind of children's thing, but also, like, the booty. What what were the characters you were interacting with? I can't remember their names. Okay, they are scrump runts. Scrump. They are the cutest, sexiest little woodland creatures that ever existed. And yeah, Ian singing in it, is 
I don't know. He's a professional singer. By the way, I want to say uh, Ian, who I'm referencing, is Ian Soder, and he's part of the collective Tough Guy Mountain. And, like, I referenced uh, Jess Eisner before and Claudia Rick, and they're both really great artists, too. So everybody should check out all of their work. The scrum fronts are inside joke between us two because mm-hmm. uh, they're, like, a creature that we've created, and we, like, keep, like, making it... <laughs> I don't know. They're like a creature that follows us around in the house. They're like also me. They're also him. Oh like my gosh. he's the diaper man. I'm the scrump runt. We're like we we change it up. Like unfortunately, the world has not seen how wonderful and sexy the scrump runs are, but they will one day. One day. Anybody who saw the Plum Show, they understand now. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> um, and there was also that I think it was a birthday present you made for him, where it was like within an egg. And I've just, oh, yeah. I think about that a lot. Oh, yeah. I needed, like, I made a video of how to how I made that. I'm going to make that into, like, something. But I just have to figure out what. Oh, my god! But, yeah, it was an amazing birthday present, wasn't it? It was. Do you want to, like, describe how you made it, like, really quick? Because I just feel like it, w- it was very intensive, the way that you did it. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, somebody is presented with, like, a large-ish ceramic egg. Uh, I don't know how to describe the scale because I'm really bad at scale like a pretty large hefty two cups like they're in your hand and you're like whoa that's heavy and it's spotted so it's pretty and then the person well Ian unwrapped it and then I gave him a hammer and I'm like you have to break it open and you know there's always like this discomfort of like breaking art but um he took the hammer and gently tapped it open and it breaks apart and then inside there's like fluffy stuff inside and then you open that up and there's like three like precious little figurines that are inside um and I've made different I've made different like figurines I've made this a couple of different times Mm -hmm. and I kind of want to make it into art pieces but uh maybe I'll do that in in the future but I just make like sexy little anthros in there but for him I made like special little figurines that had to do with like our inside jokes aww so cute. Yeah, I think also, like, shattering an egg is also, like, very faux pas, you know? Oh, it is faux pas. That's so much fun. <laughs> um, I feel like the artworks that you make, like, the, the props that you're making are in themselves artworks that you make for these performances and for these videos. Do you want to talk about, like, your centaur costume remake? Because I feel like that's a really big one. Even, like, the first iteration was, like, very intense. <laughs> yeah, it's my it's my magnificent terrible (laughs) art piece that I will keep destroying and remaking for the rest of my life. Uh, Three years ago, I made a centaur costume. So basically it's like a a body, a a horse body that goes behind me and the legs move. And I worked really freaking hard on it and the legs did move, but very poorly. And I walked so slowly and like, I did a performance and like, I didn't even like, I walked so slowly that I didn't even really get there in time, like with the centaur costume. And it just was like, yeah, it just didn't really work, even Mm. though it looked cool. Like anybody who sees some sort of like big costume, they're like, wow, cool. But (laughs) I was still unhappy. And so for three years, this like centaur carcass has been in my room and it's just been haunting me because it's very large and broken and reminds me of all the things that I haven't done yet. Oh my gosh. So I finished my Snake Girl film, which was like a thing that I also started three years ago. 
And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get this. I'm going to resurrect this baby and make it better. So I purchased a Centaur making guidebook. <laughs> and that is by Ginny D. And she's a cosplayer and she's very talented. And she made a fully functional moving centaur oh my god and so I took her uh guide and I like added on to like the things that I learned from making the center beforehand and I'm almost on my center right now and it is a big it's a big boy uh it looks good I think and now I have to like now I have to make a art project around it because like I just got I get so absorbed with the centaur I forget that like it, it needs more than just like existing Mm, it needs like the narrative around it oh so you haven't decided on the narrative for the centaur piece yet i have a soft narrative right Mm. now like uh i don't know if you you do know this because you bought something for me that i had an e-commerce business for a while (laughs) like you bought a (sighs) my the embroidery kit you bought an embroidery kit exactly yeah uh so i had an e-commerce business on etsy for a while but in a lot of ways etsy is like a scam because um all most platform capitalism is a scam because the only person that's really benefiting from it is the platform itself um because they take a huge cut and they always encourage they highly highly encourage free shipping because they're competing with amazon so you are are like expected to bite the shipping costs all the time so um you're actually making very little so i want to make a performance piece where I destroy my I want to make a performance piece where I destroy my e-commerce business. <laughs> and so I thought like I could have a villain character that's a centaur and she's like trying to peddle her wares and make it sound like her life is really like exciting and wonderful and she's like her own entrepreneur and doing mm. so well and you could be doing as well as she is if you just like quit your job and and like worked full time on an Etsy. Oh my gosh. Account. Um, so I th- I'm thinking of doing that. Um, I, I wanted to make, kind of make like an like an evil sea shanty mm. about e-commerce businesses, but I'm not sure yet. So this is still <laughs> pending. Evil sea shanty again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like you're talking also about like multi-level marketing schemes. Like yes. oh, give up your life and sell these like creams and essences you know (laughs) yeah and they feed off of like the fact that we all know that capitalism is the worst thing ever so like nobody wants to be working a minimum wage job where they're not respected but also it's a lie that usually a lie that like working with an e-commerce business is going to give you more money than that terrible capitalist job and also you're like you're selling goods for and you're like sometimes making the price higher I don't know it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a scam for sure (laughs) and it it also feels like you're riffing on like you said and I really relate to this like the art world isn't going to protect you like it doesn't offer any safety and it does almost feel like a marketing scheme be like come and put all your effort into all this stuff but we're not gonna pay you yeah and like Etsy so Etsy also has this veneer of being like beautiful and handmade and like artist made and so you picture like a sweet little like cherub in a forest like putting something together and being like here enjoy this I hope you like it um and but there's a lot of tiktoks where people are like I woke up this morning and I had 300 
purchases on my Etsy account. And like, so there's like this like American dream that's being sold right now. And I fell for it. Everybody here, I was scammed, you know, like Rebecca saw my business. So (laughs) (laughs) she knows, well, you got, you got an embroidery kit, which I'm happy for. But now I have so much product in my house. Oh no. Yeah, it's okay. So I'm going to use this project to destroy my company and sell all of this product. Yeah, it's just such a struggle, like figuring out what your like, quote unquote, side hustle is going to be like as an artist. And like, I understand like trying out different things. and Like, I don't know, just trying to hustle as best you can. And like falling flat is something that's gonna happen. Yeah, how do you how do you deal with that? Part of me like deals with it with the podcast because like as much as I do want to make money off my own art it like makes me uncomfortable to kind of do that so I'd almost Mm -hmm. rather like make money by um like presenting other artists and like that's kind of why I want to be a curator as like my job so I could Mm -hmm. just like be an artist but I've learned that being a curator is a lot like being an artist in that you don't get paid (laughs) (laughs) also like um I think there's this thing correct me if I'm wrong curator but I think there's this thing in the art world where like people will befriend you because they want like a curator connection as opposed to like a friendship or an art collection sorry connection or that they like admire you or respect you Mm -hmm. I don't like I've, I've heard this from curator friends I don't I can't speak for curators but maybe you can talk about that Yeah, I don't know. There's a weird imbalance. And I think like me as like an artist curator, because like even when I'm curating things, I'm like still an artist. So I definitely approach it differently. And like talking to other curators, they get like confused when I say I'm an artist curator. So it's definitely different. But like, Mm -hmm. there's a weird power imbalance. Like I really like those memes that go around of like comparing the artist and the curator, like um, Kim Kardashian wore that like Met Gala thing where she's like a shadow. And then she's, like, beside someone else, and they're, like, the person in the full dress is, like, the artist, and then the shadow is, like, the curator, and I think that makes me laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then, I don't know, it's it's double interesting because you're a curator and artist, so that, that those lines are maybe blurred a bit more, but maybe it's more healthy that way. I think so. Like, I think a curator who hasn't made any art isn't going to have as much sympathy about, like, failing and about, um, like, needing to change things, like... I don't know when an artist yeah. comes up to me and is like, oh, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, we'll do it and we'll make it work. Versus a like, curator might be like, it's not in the budget, you know? Mm. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know. That's just me. But also, does that mean I have a budget? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope one day you get such a big budget. I know for you too as well. May Thank we you. all have big budgets. Yeah, may we all have big budgets. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a good place to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist that you would like to be interviewed, would like to correct and or fact check a past episode, or would just like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at rebeccaecasolino at gmail.com. Thanks to the OCAD Student Union for your financial support. And thank you to all of our patrons for your ongoing support. It truly does help me avoid burnout and keeps this podcast rolling. If you would like to support Hopping the Fence, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Audio editing for Hopping the Fence by Emily Reimer. Original artwork by Alex Gregory. And original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.